0: Baruch Hashem, you're a bad Jew.
1: Shalom. (gasps) You're listening to Bad Jew. With me today is Yiska Smith hailing all the way from Jerusalem, Israel. Yeska, we are so blessed to have you on the show. Thank you for joining us today.
0: Well, Chaz, shalom. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. This is wonderful and new. It's a new program. I, I Yeah, it is a new program. It's,
1: it's, it's fresh and ready to eat and consume by the listeners and the viewers. It's amazing. And Yiska, today we're here to talk about how Judaism has changed over the years, ancient versus modern. And so uh, before we get into that, I, I, I just want to say that I was you know, looking through your website and your profile and you know you're an educator and a speaker, and there's something on your on your bio that really stood out to me here. I want to present to you this um, uh, this this overlay I found here. But this is something that really resonated with me, this statement right here. She relies on Jewish spiritual teachings to inform and uplift her students and audiences, acting as a compass, gently guiding them to their unique inner selves. As a spiritual trailblazer, Yiska exemplifies what it means to carve one's own path as she has grappled with the entanglements at the intersection of her spirituality, Jewish tradition, and passionate desire to live a life of authenticity. When I read that, I felt like I was a little bit seen. I felt like I was seen because Mm. as as viewers know by now who have been watching Bad Jew, I don't identify with any denomination. You could say I've adopted little pieces from each and each and every one of these denominations, And that really ties into today's discussion about how Judaism has changed. So when I saw that, you know, you're representing this kind of, could you call it a middle path? I'm not sure. It really just stuck with me. Do you have any thoughts on that?
0: Yeah, I, I I see myself as an agent of change, and that I bring that type of consciousness to people. That it's not so much the middle of the road; each one of us is on a unique road. Hmm. I love and that. And yeah, and but but because we can be on our own unique road, that's how we can be part of the bigger road. No, it's like a multi-lane highway. Each one, Mm. each car is in their own lane, but they're all going to the, they're coming from the same place. They're going to the same place. So our core values as Jews is, is very common to all of us. If we adapt to that, if we accept that yet, there's so many different ways of manifesting those values, so many different ways. And that's part of me being a spiritual activist is to help people honor their own inner being. Love that.
1: Love that. Well, Lieska, we have a challenge here on the Bad Jew podcast, which is to tell your life story in four minutes. Are you ready? It's too late
0: if I'm not, so let's go. (laughs) Let's do it. All right. Okay, here we go. I was born in New York, Long Island, New York in the 50s. I'm a baby boomer. Raised in a very loving home with two sisters. We were members of the only synagogue in town, Patchogue, Long Island, New York. It belonged to the conservative movement. I went to the typical Hebrew school. We all became bar bat Mitzvah. And we used to call that graduation from Judaism. <laughs> and, you know, my parents, they kept some of the traditions, uh, but were not really entrenched or immersed in Jewish observance. And definitely not Jewish spirituality or the spirituality through the lens of Judaism. So from about 13, 14 years old till 20, I took a leave of absence from being Jewish, so to speak. And then at 20, I was on my way to Europe for the summer backpacking. And I hear this inner, literally an inner calling, like a voice that said, go to Israel. I had no context within which to understand that. I didn't know where that was coming from. And then I thought, well, maybe it's because I learned about the kibbutz while I was at the university and the wonderful communal lifestyle. So I went to Israel. When I came to Israel at 20 years old, I discovered my soul. I didn't know it was called a soul then, but it was this, again, this inner voice of goodness, of encouragement, of you can be whatever you're supposed to be. You can do it. It's the idealist part. And so when I left Israel after the summer, I started learning and studying. I was at George Washington University, started going to Hillel, keeping a little bit of the traditions of Shabbat, not orthodox or very observant, but the the culture. One thing led to the next, came back to Israel. I was here during the Yom Kippur War. And then I knew after that in 1973, I knew I wanted to move here and, and be here with a potential family and and do what I believed I was called to do, which is to teach and to share. So I went to graduate school, became received a master's in Jewish education, made aliyah, and started uh, really dipping into orthodox, ultra-orthodox Judaism through Chabad. And I stopped hearing that voice. It was very, the voice that encouraged me, that inner voice, which we call the still small voice, And then I realized I was so focused on performing and doing everything right, that I lost the sense of the inner being. Fast forward, that lasted about 17 years, everything fell apart. I left, I left the Torah world, left Israel for a while. And then I came back and the Judaism that I came back to about 15 years ago is a different kind of Judaism. It's a Judaism of the soul. It's a Judaism that recognized the importance of Jewish law, but it doesn't work. worship Jewish law. It's to it's seeing Judaism as a spiritual practice, opening up one's heart to one's soul, using the mind in order to do that as well. It's a mind, body, heart, soul, contemplative, meditative type of way of living. So I came back to my home, Yerushalayim, and I've been helping to create change where people feel more at home with themselves through the lens of Jewish spirituality, writing a book, teaching, of my practice, spiritual mentoring, playing with my grandchildren, working on my garden, leading meditations, a very full, blessed, very, very grateful life. Wow, yeah. Yiska, so.
1: you you utilized your four minutes so perfectly. You really are a professional speaker. And I, I, I love that. I, I love I love your telling about how focusing on having to do everything right. Because there are a lot of um, choreographed dance steps, so to speak. And if you get one wrong, you are made to feel like a bad Jew sometimes, right? And it can take away from your personal experience and connecting your soul to God and to, to really connect spiritually to the Torah here. Um, so I, I can relate to that feeling. But can you give me an example of a moment where, like, maybe you had tried so hard to do something perfectly and it just didn't work out?
0: Well, it started to happen. I was living in the old city. Mm -hmm. That's a really good question. That's a really good question. And one day was occurring to me, because I I am a sensitive person, and as much as I was... as much as I was experiencing this inner conflict between wanting to be really honest with my Judaism, like ask the questions that I was told I'm not allowed to ask, push when I was told I'm not allowed to push. I wanted to bow. I wanted that authentic me to honor my tradition. And at the same time through honoring my soul. And yet I got so involved and there's no blame here. There's no pointing fingers. It's just the way my experience of the ultra-orthodox Haredi world in in Jerusalem was one of external um, based performing beings. And that's what I was. I was a performing being. I wasn't a being being. I was busy. I'd like to I, I I use the phrase, I was busy doing Jewish but I wanted to be busy being Jewish. I love that. There's a very you know, We're human beings first. Right. And then the, what we do reflects and manifests how we are being. Mm-hmm. So cultivating attributes, spiritual dispositions, emotional dispositions of compassion, of open-heartedness, of holding space and respect for the other, that began to fall to the back burner And making sure that I keep kosher on the most strict, strict level, where just about I couldn't eat in anyone else's house except people just like me. That became more towards the front burner. And as that happened gradually, it happened year after year after year, I began to realize I'm not hearing God anymore in this. I'm hearing the rabbis, brilliant rabbis, knowledgeable rabbis, I'd even say kind and with good intention to people. But it was almost as if Judaism was replaced with the rabbis. And and where did did God go?
1: the, The part that strikes me is that, and you brought up God at a great time, is that at a certain point, you were told not to ask certain questions. At a certain point, you were told not to question certain things, A- that's what this podcast is about, is about questioning everything. But B, that's also what the Torah tells you to do is to question everything. What other religion says to you that to be a good Jew is to question God? To be a good Jew, to be a good person in general, to just be a part of this religion, this people, you're supposed to be questioning everything that is foundational about who we are. And that's just that's just very strange to me. It sounds like failed leadership that you experienced specifically. Uh, in the, within the Orthodox community, that that happen, whereas there are other Orthodox leaders who would encourage people to ask those questions because those questions do lead to emotional breakthroughs and intellectual breakthroughs that help yeah. them advance.
0: Um, well, some of the, some of the Hasidut, some of the spiritual uh, literature and and texts that I study and share mm-hmm. is quite radical. It's quite radical compared to the status quo. Right. So it's really in our tradition, as you said, it's really in our tradition to question, to push, to really grapple, because the relationship is so real, we can't but help to grapple with it.
1: Yes, and that is a central theme in Judaism. Yes. Now, switching gears here for a second, I want to talk about the subject of this episode.
0: How has Judaism changed, jisco Okay. I was hoping you were going to get to that question. So a a friend of mine, a scholar and a brilliant person, he wrote a book and he he sees Judaism. It's called (laughs) 3.0. We have Judaism 1.0, 2.0, and now we're in 3.0. 1.0 is from the book, The Beginning of Creation, to when the second temple was destroyed in 70 CE here in Israel. It's, It's the biblical period. And the biblical period of 24 books of the Bible begins with the creation story in Genesis and ends at the beginning of the building of the second temple here in Jerusalem. That's the, and that biblical period was being born and growing, growing up and falling and growing up and falling. And then destroyed. <laughs> we were put into an exile that was very bitter. But by the Romans, because a good percentage of the Jewish people were still living in Bavel, which is today's Iraq and Iran area, yeah. because that's where we were exiled after the first temple was destroyed. Some of the people came back to build the second temple and then Rome conquered Israel and exiled us into Rome and then into Europe and, and North Africa. The diaspora. The diaspora. So now we move into 2.0. 2.0 is the Talmudic era of survival. Mm-hmm. These were great, great, incredibly mystical, spiritual, and yet very committed people who were concerned with us surviving. We're no longer in our homeland. Some of us are in the what's become known as now as the Mideast, the Arab countries. Some of us are becoming would become, later it was called Ashkenaz, some later would be called Sephardic. But this is like 200, 300 CE. How do we keep this nation a nation without a country? So that hence the Talmud with all the different, a big emphasis on how to do, how to do Judaism, because that's a survival technique. We had to, they, they were responsible and they succeeded for 2000 years after Rome conquered Israel till the establishment of the state of Israel in 1948. We didn't have our own land and yet we still had a nation because we knew how to survive. That's 2.0 survival. 3.0 is post 1948. Right. Whether one lives in Israel or not lives in Israel, right. the establishment of the state of Israel changed the the um, the consciousness. I think it's called the zeitgeist, that, the, zeitgeist the German yeah. word. Not, the zeitgeist.
1: Yeah.
0: It, yeah. Right, it changed our whole way of being in the world because now by choice, we either can come to Israel or by choice not come to Israel. So it was no longer about surviving. Now it becomes thriving. How do I thrive? How do I thrive? How do I be the best that God wanted me to be when God created me, when I no longer have to survive, where I can really blossom? You know, it's like I have a big garden. So in the winter, I... I pray and I help some of my plants survive. Right. And then in the, after two bishvat, they begin to thrive.
1: So your garden's at 3.0, is what you're saying.
0: My garden's at 3.0. I love so that. So one of the major ways, <laughs> Judy, yes, it is. <laughs> well, almost two bishvat will be in less than a month. Then it'll really start to thrive. Yes.
1: Uh, so one, are the
0: main di- one of the main differences, and it's not only historical difference, it's also a consciousness difference, is we no longer have to survive. We can give ourselves permission to thrive. And that's where individuating is very important because doing Jewish, when survival is on the line, that's not the time for free expression. We need to huddle together, band together like an army Mm. and make sure at least there's another generation that in one way or another can identify as being Jewish you know, like during the Crusades in the 11th century, during the uh, Spanish Inquisition in the 1500s, 15th century, during, of course, leading up to, well, even what was going on with Russia, with the pogroms and, and Ukraine and Poland, and v- even in the UK, even in France. And then, of course, in the Sephardic world, North Africa, it was like really, really hard. And it was hard in the Arab countries. Right. now, so So banding together to... To, to be unified with an action. I get that. I mean, that, and I owe a lot of gratitude to those people without them. I wouldn't be here and we would not be having this podcast. That's We would have disappeared. That's right. And so what you just did, which
1: was really brilliant, which you kind of went in a very summarized fashion, in a very short podcast of only 30 minutes, talk about, you know, over 3000 years of uh, the life of a nation, right? You went <laughs> from 1.0 to 3.0. You talked about the beginning to the era of the first and the second temple, all the way into the diaspora, then into the birth of Israel modern day, right? And now going the opposite direction, starting from modern day, looking back for a second, you know, one thing I was researching as I was going through Google and trying to see how has Judaism changed, right? There were two top things that I kept on seeing, right? The first thing, was different articles from reformed Jewish sources. And we'll talk about that in a second. The second thing that I found was the discussion, the common discussion amongst Jews that modern day Jews are unrecognizable to ancient Jews. That if a modern day Jew (laughs) went in a time machine right now and saw an ancient Hebrew, it would be unrecognizable. The two of them would not be able to recognize each other. you know the way that the orthodox practice judaism today is not how jews or hebrews practiced back then so what do you attribute to that dramatic change over time was that um the difference of interpretation was that the elements of the diaspora kicking in was it that we weren't um
0: exposed to other parts of the world enough just yet what do you attribute to that I attribute that we were exposed to the rest of the world and we adapted different customs as we as we shared what we were able to share. We also adapted to where we were living. Right. And I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, in in the mid 80s, 1980s, okay. mid 1980s, when I was living in the Jewish quarter, I live now in Nahlaot, which is a different part of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm very close to the market that everyone knows, the Shukmach and the Yehuda. But years ago, I lived in the old city. And I remember there was a man, one of my daughters became friends with this family, with their daughter. And I remember meeting the father, the mother and the father. I remember the father really struck me as being so odd because he came from, he was Mizrahi. He came from one of the Arab countries. He did not wear pants. He only wore robes. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Yeah, because wow. all men used to wear robes. It, it was more of a Western style. I don't know when pants, slacks, jeans started to become a, uh, a way of dressing for men and then later eventually women. But there was a time where men did not wear pants. They wore robes. And you, he, in nineteen in the 1980s, was walking around in his robes. You,
1: you scared me because when you said he wasn't mm. wearing pants, I didn't know where the story was going. But, um, you know, <laughs> but on a similar note, though, you know, in terms of how we've adjusted to the <clears throat> other cultures, I mean, here's something fascinating that I found. I, I found actually three different sections on this article that Britannica posted on the subject that I, I never knew about before. So for starters, we had here the fact that Napoleon actually had kind of a major part to play in this. Napoleon convoked a Sanhedrin in 1807 to create a modern definition of Judaism that renounced Jewish nationhood and national aspirations, (laughs) asserted that rabbinic authority was purely spiritual, and recognized the priority of civil over religious authority, even in matters intermarriage. In countries other than France, the rationale for reform, at least in its early years, was more aesthetic than doctrinal. So, first of all, I had no idea that Napoleon even had cared about, like even glance in the direction of Jews. I mean, I guess it doesn't surprise me, especially when you go to Yaffa. There is a cutout of Napoleon, and it shows that he had his cannons pointed towards the direction of Tel Aviv, basically. Like, you can see that in Yaffa when you go there. But I still, despite that, don't exactly know Napoleon's intersection with, with Judaism and Israel. So I think that's that was very fascinating, right? Later on, as we go down uh, in, in Britannica, you can see here that you spoke about the 80s. Of course, you're talking about the 1980s. Now we're talking about the 1880s. So in 1885, a conference of reform rabbis formulated what was then the most comprehensive statement of reform philosophy in the so-called Pittsburgh platform. This manifesto announced that Judaism was an evolutionary faith and no longer a national one. And it declared that the mosaic and rabbinical laws regulating diet, purity, and dress were entirely foreign to our present mental and spiritual state. So it just it, it things things were changing. We 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 in the in this in these last 500 years that's 2.0, right? Things were dramatically shifting for Jews based on the diaspora and it would 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 you call that assimilation or was that adjusting how would you define that?
0: I, I no I'd say to the contrary. Would you just shared mm-hmm. is an attempt not to assimilate. Okay, I try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Okay. So what I see in what you just shared from the reform movement mm-hmm. is they they wanted to preserve their they wanted to keep their Jewish identity and reform it. I don't think it was all. Uh, I, I mean, I think their intentions were 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 noble. If they if they wanted to assimilate, they wouldn't have created a movement with a doctrine. They just would have assimilated, right? Which right. Jews did do also, especially in Western Europe, sure. like in the 1800s. Not everyone lived in Warsaw, or not everyone lived in Ukraine. Right. There was a lot of Jews who lived in France, who lived in the UK, mm-hmm. Belgium, Amsterdam, and many people there did not even adopt the Reform movement's doctrine. Mm-hmm. They they assimilated. We see that in Germany even prior to World War II. Fascinating. How do you
1: define? a movement because, and I asked this question because, you know, one thing I I found as well that I found really intriguing was the fact that the term denomination is something that a lot of Jewish scholars today reject, even as denominationally Orthodox scholars do. um, They saw that the term denomination is actually more of a Christian term, right? It's the same way that, you know, a, a Jew describing reform versus conservative versus, versus Orthodox, right? Could be looked at the same way as Methodist to Catholic to Protestant, etc. right? Do you think that that's... I don't know what...
0: I, I, I can't no. agree or disagree because I don't know enough about Christian theology to say that the differences between the different churches parallels. What I can say is that... There are a few ways I'd like to respond, though, to what you said. Just so everyone knows who's listening where I'm at, I don't belong to any movement or any denomination. I'm post-denominational. I guess you could say a piece of me could be found in any of these denominations or movements, but the bigger part of me is past it. I believe the movements, which are Ashkenaz, by the way, they all came from Europe. They did not, the majority of the Jews who live in Israel are not Ashkenaz. Mm-hmm. So they come from a different history where there was no reform doctrine, where the response or the reaction against the reform was now the Orthodox movement. And then the reaction against that to try to keep something of both, bring the new into the old, was the conservative. That whole interaction between all these different doctrines was not part of the Mizrahi experience and to to most in cases even the Sephardic experience and most Jews are not Ashkenaz so living for me living in Israel I, having made Aliyah since 1985 having lived here for many many years I, I'm, I'm an Israelite like the biblical term Israelite before all of this diaspora Israelite 3.0 uh, is there like 3.0 exactly? There's really what I see happening, this especially through the spiritual lens, there is a deconstruction. There is a real dissolution right now of denominations. And in Hebrew, we don't say denominations. We would say movements. I even said it before. Tunuah in Hebrew is a movement. Tunuah. There's the tunuot. There's the different movements. Mm. It's ways that different Jews move through their Judaism. They're becoming less and less relevant to more and more people. So you're saying that,
1: that right now what we're experiencing, I mean, th- this maybe has a negative connotation, but muddied waters between the different walls that have been put up between Reform and conservative, and orthodox. Is that what you're saying? I
0: guess. I, I don't. The muddy waters term concerns me. The,
1: That's why I said it might be a negative connotation. Yeah. Maybe it's more so blurred lines.
0: I'd say blurred. They're becoming more blurry. Yeah. Because yeah. remember, Jews kept what we call a halachach life, a life of one way or another observing the laws mm-hmm. long before there was an orthodox movement. Mm-hmm. And the orthodox movement did not even make any sense to most Jews because they didn't even know about it and they were keeping shabbat and they were keeping kashrut and the different laws that govern businesses and families and so on and so forth right so what's happened there's also now a lot of assimilation in the you know it's in two directions like on one hand there's a melding there's a dissolution or a deconstruction of the denominations or the movements and for people who are becoming more integrated and more unified I once was a scholar in residence in the Boston area, mm. and I gave a lecture at a synagogue that started out years ago as an orthodox synagogue with a women's section above for the women to sit. Because of various, what's ever going on in American Jewry, where there's a lot of economic, there's, uh, there's economic challenges. There's also, because of assimilation, there's some of the synagogues are, are finding declining membership. What they do on Shabbat, they have three different um, minyanim. They have their Orthodox. Then, in I think they in another section they have a Conservative, and then they have a modern Orthodox, where men and I think it's called a, a um, an open Orthodox or. Shared minion. is a term I'm oh, much sure. familiar. Like, I like think. a shared minion. Okay, so this, yeah. this is a newer concept, obviously. This is and so and then when I gave this talk, people from the different minyanin came and then people from who don't even come to the synagogue came, because they heard that there was a going to be a speaker from Israel talking about spirituality. <laughs> so the room was packed. Right, and yet they're suffering a declining membership as an org- as strictly an Orthodox synagogue. So right, you see, there are, there are changes where people are co-sponsoring, communities are coming together. So I would say, in that way, there's the muddy waters are beginning to actually become no waters, or maybe just like this. You'll always have your very strict halachic Jews. Right. Very, very strict. It's in right. a personality, it's in a tradition where their family is from, who their rabbi is. And then you have other people who observe halakha in a more lenient way. Then you have people who don't acknowledge that the halakha binds their life, but they'll keep some of the tradition. They're no longer what I see is happening. They're no longer defined by open and closed shut movements. This
1: sounds like a result also of, like you said in Judaism 3.0, we're in that thriving stage, and I think when people are thriving, they're no longer focusing on um what has worked in the past. How can we replicate that now? It's actually more so about how can we now unite even stronger. When 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 a people are thriving, they find more ways to connect interchangeably with each other, and I think that's actually a really. beautiful thing it sounds like the lines or the waters however you want to call them the walls are lowering and whatnot we're um, being able to look through the window and see each other a little bit more clearly now and we're also making the space to explore and and
0: uh unite in a more wholesome way it sounds like which sounds really beautiful because what we're doing now is we're being we are becoming aware through spiritual practice there we go of our essential of what makes us our essential being is the divine presence within us. And this transcends external behavior. So rather than being defined by externalities, mm-hmm. what defines me now is exactly what defines you. So how you externally manifest it is different than me. Fine. Right. But your essence and my essence and to become aware of the divine presence, to hear that subtle, still, small voice. Mm-hmm. I I host every other Shabbat. And anyone who's listening to this podcast, you're invited to always join me. I have people coming from all over the world when they come to Jerusalem. I have community members, students here. Every other Shabbat, I have an alternative prayer space in my garden. I love that. I share a spiritual Torah, a piece of spiritual Torah on the weekly Torah portion. And then I bring people into a guided meditation. And then we chant for about 20 minutes. We'll have a chant leader. And then we share, and then we have a kiddush, where of course I have to have the kugel for the kiddush. And I will tell you, I've seen people that are very, very observant. They'll go to the Orthodox minyan before they come here. And then people who not even are really sure what they wanna do with their Judaism, unite and come together because it's bringing our souls together, Chaz. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's not, how do you keep kosher compared to how I keep kosher? Well, I don't keep kosher. Well, I do keep kosher. So there's a, now we divide. This unites,
1: this unites. Beautiful, beautifully said, Yiska. I think in summary, we're in this place now where you don't have to do Jewish, you can be Jewish. And that's really beautifully said. I think you taught me that at the beginning of this interview. Thank you for taking me on this journey with you. Yiska, um, what is, should someone want to, you know, connect with you, be a part of this, you know, bigger, this um, this post-denominational place that you've created, what is the best way to connect with you?
0: My email. So if you share my email, people can email me. There we go. Yes. And if you're coming to Israel, email me. Say you heard me on, um, I'm a Bad Jew. <laughs> I, I really, I actually, a part of me is bad. Because <laughs> I'm really considered, to, I'm considered to be quite radical. <laughs> so I guess that's the badness by the world standards. Okay, all right. Which means I'm really, which means we're really good. Right. I mean, that's, I like how, that. I, that's how I learned from you. That's I learned from you. I love that. So yeah, if anyone's listening and would like, you're coming to Jerusalem, just shoot me an email. Let me know when you'll be here. Also, I teach through applied Jewish spirituality. I can add you to my mailing list. You'll know when I'm teaching my classes online. I also teach here in Yerushalayim, and I also teach in various communities around the world when I'm invited to be a scholar in residence. So, and you know, with Zoom now, it's amazing. I do a lot of one-off community-based lectures where community will invite me to give a talk to their community, and I speak from the comfort of my home as I'm speaking with you. So that's one way of bringing me through zoom to someone's community. So there's all different ways that I could and my spiritual mentoring practice where really I work with individuals and that is that's where I touch I touch people's souls in the in a more let's say deep very specific it's like the holy of holies walking wow. with someone along their journey along their spiritual journey. Wow.
1: Well, Yiska, this was absolutely an amazing interview. Thank you for being on the show. Thank and also, you. be sure to check out her podcast as well Authentic uh, Judaism with Yiska, available on all platforms. Again, this has been such an incredible time. I've definitely learned a lot and I really do appreciate it. Next time I'm coming to Israel, I'm definitely coming to attend uh, your space that you've created. Yes, yes. I want to see this. You better. I want to partake yeah. in this guided meditation because I suck at meditating. And uh, <laughs> this is just fantastic. Thanks
0: again, Yiska. Uh-huh. Thank you. Thank you very much. Shalom.